0: And answers. How do you share why you believe in Christ with a friend who perhaps says that they don't believe in anything? How does this happen? Did everything just pop into existence? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukren. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's broadcast, let's listen as Pat interviews British scholar Luke Cowley as they discuss his book entitled The Myth of the Non-Christian. Here's Pat now with part two.
1: She kind of experienced all this stuff and then kind of felt herself return to her body and the strange odd spiritual out of body experience ended and the massage ended but she said after that she knew that there was more to life than what was physical and she had a sense okay there is something out there beyond what i've experienced until now and the tendency of christians is to think who have had, who are involved in what we might frame as alternate spiritualities are somehow anti-christian but the strange thing is here you have a girl who's basically atheist function a woman who's basically atheist has this strange spiritual experience and all of a sudden she realizes there's more to life than there is now but she doesn't know anyone who's going to talk to her about jesus i think i was almost the first person to talk to her about jesus but she was open because this spiritual experience she'd had had made her open to the possibility of uh, being more to life than she'd experienced till now, on the kind of, in the sense of connected or transcendent or something beyond out there. So quite often, spiritual religious people are not to be assumed as hostile or as our enemies, but actually they could be people kind of on a journey away from what you might phrase as kind of materialistic naturalism towards a sense of a possibility that there could be more to life than what we can see, touch, or measure.
2: Tell us, generally, how do we reach those who are spiritual but not religious? How do we effectively communicate and engage with this kind of community?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, obviously it's gonna depend on the individual. The first thing is, so on, a, on an individual level, when you have friends with spiritual or religious, without being preachy about it, you might want to just be a little more open about your own spiritual experience. So you can speak of prayer or of spiritual experiences with people. People are interested about spiritual reality in your life. So just be prepared to tell people stories of things which have happened to you Don't just say, and maybe even don't just say, I'll pray for you sometime, but maybe even offer to pray for them then. I think anything you can do to, I describe it as like, let's say someone who's never, never drunk Coca-Cola before, you've got a bottle of Coca-Cola and you say, okay, I'm going to describe to you Coca-Cola, I'm going to argue for you what the taste of Coca-Cola is, that you'll enjoy this, this is positive, or so far you can go in arguing for it and describing it. There's some point where you're going to want to pour them a glass of cake and give them a sip to drink you give people an experience of Christian spirituality as I mentioned earlier that might be the Christian spirituality of kind of being on mission with God in the world in terms of helping the broken and downtrodden places of our world and inviting people into that aspect of Christian mission is it giving them a context where they can experience Christians to kind of have the opportunity to pray with people or have the opportunity to kind of experience people listening to God and hearing God speak to them, whatever it is, putting them in a, in a context where they can kind of have an experience of Christian spirituality, Christian outwards or upward spirituality is, is what's going to make the difference for them.
2: So what I seem to be hearing you saying is that those spiritual but not religious are kind of looking for some kind of experience of the transcendent. And to direct them and say Christianity is not just rational, but you can also have uh, experience of God through Jesus Christ. And directing them that way is, seems to be
1: yeah uh, precisely. So, so I used to be involved in a project in the nightclub district of of the town I used to live in, and we um, so we just we opened up this cafe style space and invited clubbers to come in, and we had kind of sofas and soft lighting. Uh, and we just offered them coffee, and it was called night church. We offered them coffee, and they could come and sit with us and and have a chat and so forth and obviously it had church in the name, so they sort of knew it was vaguely Christian but and we had a little prayer room there, and we just as we talked to people very naturally it would come up people say, you know well, why what, what are you doing and I'd say well listen, we' just followers of Jesus. We want to kind of just be a blessing to you guys in, in this area of town and be available for you. And very swiftly, people would end up opening up and talking about their lives with you express the sense of care for them. And, and quite often, we'd either pray with them or direct, or direct and say, look, we've got a little prayer room here. And it would have scriptures and stuff on the wall and things that would say, Listen, this is and um, different little things written up there about Jesus and artwork and stuff and say, so, listen, we've got a room here you could you could pray or I could pray for you here and uh, quite frequently I might find myself praying with people who were not Christians there. And so for a spiritual but not religious person it's not me saying and so let me explain to you seven truths for the reality of God. So you're saying, look, I understand what you're just saying to me here about your life situation. I believe in a God who's real and does stuff. Would you mind if I pray for you right now and see what he does in your situation? So that would be one way in which you would kind of give people a first-hand experience of, of Christian spirituality simply by praying with them.
2: Yes, we're talking about three major groups of unbelievers in the West today, the spiritual but not religious, the convinced atheist, and the nominal Christian. And Luke Cowley here has done a great job of describing the spiritual but not religious. Well, tell us about the second group, the convinced atheists. Tell us about them.
1: Sure. So, I mean, I'm sure this would be a group you'd be very familiar with. Whereas spiritual or not religious take a bit of work to understand, atheists tend to be a little more prominent, don't they, in our culture? So an atheist would be somebody who say, would say there isn't or almost a, you know, almost certainly isn't a god, and I'm convinced of that. And so there's a range of atheists. Some people would be of the kind of Richard Dawkins line of very angry Uh, Not just atheist, but kind of anti theist, angry towards Christians and towards believers in God. Other people might have had hard things happen in their lives, be angry with God, and would not just, it's not an intellectual thing, it's almost like their atheism is an outcome of their desire that he not exist, because then an outcome of their kind of anger with him makes them disaffirm his existence. There might be other people who just really haven't thought very much about it. I find the largest group of atheists who are a bit like this, they kind of Haven't got a hand description for themselves, and so they just think, Well, I haven't thought much about it. It seems like there's probably not a God, so so I don't believe in Him. There might be other people who are just really warm and friendly towards Christians, but the whole thing just seems a bit intellectually untenable, so they don't believe. And there's a whole range of people really within atheists, but what they have in common is their sense that, no, their affirmation that there probably is not a God.
2: Yes, you know, Luke, also, there's another group I run into when they say they're atheists, and I say, oh, you, you don't believe, so you believe there is no God, and they say, oh, no, I, I just don't believe in anything. Right. And, and things, but when you say, oh, so you're agnostic, yeah, they mm-hmm. kind of argue for atheism, but then when you kind of press them on it and say, well, okay, so you're an atheist, they go, oh, no, no, I just believe in nothing, an atheist right. believes in nothing. Is that one particular group you run into as well? Yeah, yeah, no, I do run into
1: people who kind of, uh, and it, and it's a little bit, Silly, because, it, I, mean, it, I mean, you could just ask really, you believe in absolutely nothing? And <laughs> quite, quite often that's enough of an argument as you need to get past, well, I don't believe in absolutely nothing. But there's a, there's a tendency to posit atheism as neutral, isn't there? That's the that's popular thing to do, to present it as a neutral option. And Christians have a position, but atheists don't have a position. And yeah, I do come across that a fair amount.
2: Yeah, it seems like those kind of people uh, want to attack. But they yep. don't want to have a position to defend once you start critiquing them.
1: No, no, exactly. Right. <laughs>
2: mm. Well, how do we best communicate effectively with the convinced atheist?
1: Sure. So, I mean, broadly speaking, most people are atheists wouldn't say they were, were atheists without reason. They'd be able to say, okay, I think because. And the classics would be suffering, science, the reliability of scripture, uh, the bad track record of religion or, or something else. But most of them would, would be able to kind of, to identify, okay, here's a few reasons I think it's not true. And since most atheists have reasons why they are not believers in God, you want to create a context where they can share their thoughts on why they're atheist, share their objections to the Christian faith and, and to God, and then where you can discuss those objections together and maybe offer them the opportunity to engage with some good, strong responses back to what they're thinking. So on an individual level, uh, so in the book I outline ways to do that conversationally, one-to-one with people. There are ways to do that kind of in a small group setting. So um, a friend of mine has something called Agnostics Anonymous, which is a structured meal where one or two Christians come together with let's say four or five people who aren't Christians and say okay we'd love you to come and just tell us why you don't believe and we'll share with you why we do believe and just each have a kind of friendly conversation about that and it's just a great way this guy does this which I outline in the book or or in your church are there opportunities on a church-wide level? Are there ways that people can ask questions? Uh, Whether that's as simple as texting and some questions at the end of the service for, for people to answer or whether you have occasional events that are kind of Q&A type event. So you're going to want to create a context where people can air their questions. Their questions can be taken seriously and, and not belittled, but also where good
2: responses can be offered. Yes, you know, that's a great point that you make. You know, as Christians and even in our churches, we're not a safe place for atheists and skeptics and, and even Christians, you know, to ask yeah. doubting Christians or uh, to ask those kind of tough questions. We don't want to entertain those questions, but what you're saying is we 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 need to be a place where we can invite those kinds of questions and have intelligent cordial kind of discussion and dialogue, not arguments or you know, ways to shut them down. But to invite those kind of questions, that's what you're saying here, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think the point you make there is great about Christians as well, because I think one of the key things about engaging difficult questions is we we need to, we need to be doing that in the church. It's not just people outside the church who have questions, is it? And we just need to be creating a safe space where on the one hand, we're saying, you know, it's okay to come as you are, to have doubts, to have questions, but also we want to say there are some really good answers to some of these things you're raising, and, and here are some of the good answers. And if we could combine, it's a powerful combination when we create that sense of warmth and welcome and come as you areness towards people, including people in the church. But at the same time, we display a sense of, of kind of, okay, but there are good answers, and, and we manage to communicate those answers.
2: Yeah. And, you know, sometimes when you answer those questions and you knock down those strongholds, sometimes you kind of get to the root of the issue. You know, I remember speaking with atheists, and he was giving me all the rational arguments against the existence of God, and we were slowly dismantling them. And finally, we got down to the main issue, and that was, you know, his father, I think, was a deacon or a leader in the church and was a very abusive kind of yeah. father, and that's why he became a staunch atheist. And so sometimes it takes a little while to get to the real issue. Is that what you find?
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, it does. And I I think asking people, one thing I often quote when I'm kind of training people to help others' conversation is Francis Schaeffer, the Christian apologist, famously said, if I had an hour with someone, I would spend 55 minutes asking questions and five minutes responding to them. Because he felt like even with his much larger than my brain <laughs> that he had, we, he really needed to get to what, what's really going on with this person. And, and you're right, like like you said, with this person, it's not at all an intellectual issue, it's an issue of, of, of relationship and family and things like that.
2: Well, we've gone through two of the groups here, the spiritual but not religious. Uh, that approach, Luke, you seem to be saying, they're looking for an experience and to show them Christianity is not just a rational thing, but you can also experience God and in community as well. The convince the atheists. You need to provide an opportunity for them to dialogue and ask the tough questions that they're struggling with. But then we have a third group here, the nominal Christians. Tell
1: us yeah. about that. Sure. So, so the root word of nominal is the same as the word in root for name. So it would be Christian in name only. So it would be people who bear the name Christian, but somehow something of the full reality of what it means to be Christian is missing there. And, and this could range from people who are. Committed churchgoers in good churches, through to through to people who've kind of had bad experiences from the church, or also a lot of people grow up in in certain church contexts, simply going kind of for their baptism, for their first communion, for and then thereafter for kind of Christmas and Easter. But they at, at no point have they thought that kind of going to church for these things have they ever thought that Christianity would would amount to much more than occasional attendance at at key festivals and and so i think quite often the stereotype of nominal christians is either they're hypocrites but they're often not they're most of the time they're not they're honest people who are honestly involved in the church or honestly haven't really thought that christianity could much more than would ever be much more than this occasional church
2: contact Yes, now how do you effectively communicate and engage the nominal Christian community? What is it what kind of questions are they asking or issues they tend to be struggling with?
1: Sure. So, I mean, nominal Christians will kind of be asked, normally comes in kind of one of three types of questions. One will be about disagreement with specific teachings of the church. One will be discomfort with the culture of the church. And another one will be bad experience with Christians. Uh, Really, I think, so I think you're going to have to be able to talk to people about the specific Christian teachings that they might disagree with, which will be the first one. But the second to discomfort with the culture of the church and bad experience with other Christians. We'll be wanting to to find ways, uh, first of all, to help those who have bad experiences of the church actually see that their bad experience isn't representative of a whole. Introduce them into church contexts and communities where, where their definition of what Christianity is and what the church is can kind of be recalibrated. But... Also, say, I think for most people as well as kind of a new sense of, of what Christian community is. The other thing is you want to give people a chance to reconsider Jesus because it 's when you hear about and respond to Christ that kind of relationship with him grows so lots of people who are nominal Christian will kind of think okay that I've kind of been there and done that as a child i Went to Sunday school or whatever, and and it and it always seems like kind of child's play to me, and and I quite often say to people, "Well, I, I'm sure it did because you did that as a child, but I wonder whether you might take a second. I'd be really interested to know what you think of Jesus as an adult, and and I'd be curious maybe whether whether you might read read through one of the biographies of his life and just give me your take on that. So give them Mark's gospel or, or Luke's gospel. And, and and so finding ways that you can talk together with them about Jesus while doing that in a context which, which kind of opens the door to involvement in Christian community can be helpful for nominal Christians.
2: Yeah, you know, usually it's one of those three reasons I'm finding. I've spoken with several Christians, just one recently who I thought they were an agnostic or an atheist, but they turned out, you know, they believed in Christ and they once attended church. So I asked them, well, you know, what happened? And it was, you know, his father had died and his father clearly was an unbeliever. And people in church were saying, well, he's, he's not with the Lord. You know, he's, he's in hell. And that so got him so upset. I don't think so much the truth, but just the way it was communicated in a very nonchalant, uncaring kind of manner, really offended him and got him really upset to where he, you didn't go back to church for it's been thirty years, and oh I'm finding gosh. I'm finding a lot of that what you're just saying here.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, isn't it? And and so, on that story that you told just now, I mean, you have both elements, don't you? There's one the just the rank insensitivity of people in the church. There's a kind of cold, harsh communication of of the doctrine of hell. So yeah, and I think but in both those aspects, there's going to be a a need to rediscover the heart of Christianity, which is Christ, and to discover a
2: church where
1: where people kind of don't say such terribly sensitive things
2: all the time. How have you found a way to reach this kind of community?
1: Yeah, the book, uh, the myth of the non-Christian, assumes that that you're in a relationship with people and it's all about how to kind of take people forward in that relationship when there's that kind of perhaps a little spark of interest. And I mean, one way, one-to-one, I very frequently will meet with people who are not Christians and just we'll each read a little segment from one of the Gospels beforehand or even when we're there and we'll both come together with a set of questions that we want to discuss. And I found that quite helpful, just a very simple way to do that. And I outline some simple ways to do that very casually over coffee or wherever else, just help people take a second look at Jesus. And that can be quite powerful. I think in the church, we, especially in kind of smaller groups, context. We want to create a space for people to share their stories. And when we talk about storytelling in the church, we often talk about it in terms of people, the preachers telling stories about Jesus. But I think we want to have a storytelling culture in the sense that we want to hear people who are, give a chance for people who are not Christians, to share their stories, and nominal Christians, especially to share their stories and experiences up till now. Because one of my friends made the interesting One of my mentors said to me that very often atheists and nominal Christians are asking the same questions, but they're asking them for different reasons. Atheists will often be asking those questions because they want an answer. Nominal Christians will be asking that question because they're probing, is this church and community and this person uh, a place or, or person with whom I'm allowed to have doubts and I'm allowed to have questions and is this a place where I fit so if in your church you can create spaces for people just to share a little bit about their their life story what they've experienced until then Um, so for your friend who you mentioned there just have a chance okay well tell us you know you're kind of new here we'd love to hear a little bit about your story And and they say well you know I had this experience it took me a long time to come back to even think of coming anywhere near a church because this happened here and people say oh We're really sorry that happened to you, and we're so happy you're here. That sense of affirmation, your story and your bad experiences of church belong here, and you are welcome here, and your backstory is welcomed here, can be quite powerful, actually, for for people from a nominally Christian background.
2: Oh, that's fantastic. I really highly recommend this book. I've been fascinated reading about it. It's called The Myth of the Non Christian by Luke Cowley. Now, Luke, I just want to ask you a question similar, hopefully related. You know, I spend a lot of time in Asia where the gospel is new and where I'm going, it's a lot of first-generation believers. And there's kind of an intrigue and an interest in hearing what Christianity is all about. But when I go over there to Europe and especially Eastern Europe, the attitude I seem to run into a lot is kind of this indifference, kind of been there, done that. We've yeah. seen the religious wars, we've seen the Crusades, we've seen the Spanish Inquisition. Been there, done that, didn't work for us, tell us something new. Is that what you're, you You kind of experience there in Eastern? It's a different... Do
1: you know what I think I would have five or ten years ago? I think there's a real shift now to where post-Christianism, I as an individual. Have had this experience of Christianity and moved past it. It's very often post-Christians with a culture have had this experience and are moving, moving on from this. Meaning that m- many of these guys—I mean, so in Romania, for example, the typical university student will say, "I'm Orthodox. I'm Christian Orthodox," but but they would know nothing about their religion, virtually nothing. Mm. About their religion, so you have this odd situation of people having a kind of religious identification, or in other cases, going, oh, "No, I don't. I can't stand any of that stuff. I don't believe it," but also not really understanding what it is they're rejecting. And so i found there's this nice little post-Christian moment right now, where it used to be that you kind of would have to argue against something. Now people will say, "Oh, I'm Christian Orthodox." You go, "Well, tell me about your experience for that. What, what, you know, tell me what that means." in your life and they say well you know not re- i haven't really had <laughs> much experience of it and you say okay well let me tell you a little bit about christianity so there's a, there's an i found actually just an openness really across europe now people still take a long time to become christians but people taking a long time to become christians isn't the same as people being closed to the gospel it, it just means they take a long time but um but it doesn't people mistake that I think for hard ground and I think if we can have a little bit of patience and perseverance with people then we can see a good number of people come to faith um, if we're willing to bear with them and their questions.
2: Fantastic. You've been listening to an interview with Luke Cowley. He's an author of a great book here, The Myth of the Non-Christian. Luke, where can people, if they want more information about you and your organization and the things that you've written on, where can they find more information?
1: Sure. So, um, so Luke Corley, um, luke at c-a-w-l-e-y dot org is my website, and that also links to our organization's website, Chrysalis. There's a link on the top. If you just Google Luke Corley and um, click on the links that seem to have to do with Christianity rather than the child voice actor who shares my name, then, <laughs> then you'll come across my stuff.
2: <laughs> Fantastic, fantastic. Luke is the uh, director and co founder of Chrysalis, a great ministry there based there in England. It helps organizations and churches better communicate the Jesus story with the unbelieving world. So, fantastic book here. I recommend you get it. It's called The Myth of the Non Christian. Very engaging book here with a lot of practical insights in how to reach the unbelieving world of the spiritual but not religious, the convinced atheist, and the nominal Christian. Well, Luke, thanks a lot for being with us here on Evidence and Answers. You provide a lot of great insight, and may God continue to bless your work there in the United Kingdom.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me on.
0: Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio Broadcast. Be sure to join us next time for the continuation of this exciting show. We hope you enjoyed this interview. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you including articles, additional audio and Pat's books. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Hey, yeah.